It is 7.07. This is the uh, the big show, Wednesday, employment hour, phone lines. Yep, already open. How quick do we work? 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell, one 225 talk That number, as always, is uh, toll-free. We'll get to working notice determination as our topic tonight as well. Biggest mistakes employers make. We'll run through some of those. And emails, uh, feel free. Send them in. We'll, uh, we'll see if we have time to get to a few of those over the next 50 minutes or so as we continue till around 10 to 8. That is help. At employmenthour.com, as always, we will cover off the severance pay calculator, a tool that over uh, 550,000 people have used and had their eyes open widely as to uh, what severance should be and probably what you're not getting. But more details on that are on the way. So phone lines open. Feel free to give us a call. John Pincus is uh, doing the show tonight. John, good to, uh, good to see you again, or at least hear you. How are, uh, how are things? I know you got a couple things lined up for the week that was, yeah? Yeah, good to be here. Good to be back talking about workplace rights and Hopefully we get some uh, calls in tonight, people having situations of their own. But uh, starting with the week that was, just give you a couple situations. Uh, so the first one is actually from a few weeks ago. Uh, so this was a salesperson from a small technology startup firm, worked there about two years. And just after his 56th birthday, uh, his birthday present from the company was a termination letter. Nice. Uh, very nice, right? He did not receive any notice. Uh, and as a severance package, he received his minimum two weeks pay. So that was the point that he came to me. And the first thing that I told him was that this sort of severance package was completely inadequate. So if he had gone on the severance pay calculator, he would see that someone in his circumstance is typically entitled to anywhere from three to six months of his pay and benefits. And for him, that was tens and tens of thousands of dollars. But then I was looking at his contract of employment and I realized that he had arguably an even bigger problem. He was subject to a non-competition clause that prevented him from working for any competitors in the technology sector within the greater Toronto area for 12 months. And as it so happened, all of his experience, pretty well his entire life, was in the technology sector. So realistically, the only way that he was going to get a comparable job paying that salary was to work in that industry. And effectively, this clause was a one-year suspension from him being able to work at all. So combine that with the fact that he'd been offered two weeks pay as severance, that put him in an extremely precarious situation. So the first thing he told me when I pointed out to him this clause was, well, well, wait a minute, I did some research and it seems like usually the courts find that these clauses are not enforceable. And I said, well, yes, that's true. And I advised him that, yeah, looking at this clause, it's likely unenforceable as well. Uh, But that's cold comfort because I had to give him the hard truth that as a practical matter, it makes almost no difference. And the reason is because he was going to have to disclose this clause to any potential employers. And many of those companies don't want to be implicated and don't want to touch a clause like that with a 10-foot pole. So even if that clause is unenforceable, there's nothing to stop his former employer from making his life miserable through an injunction, through a lawsuit, none of which, of course, is cheap to deal with. So I told him, okay, we need to do more than just improve this severance package. We need to get this clause waived. Uh, And after, I'm happy to say that after a few weeks, that was exactly what we did. And boy, is he happy because as it turned out, while we were negotiating his case, he was applying for jobs and lo and behold, the non-compete was a problem. Now that it's waived, he can actually land on his feet. So there's two lessons here, of course. So the first is don't accept a small severance package just because you're a short service employee. Uh, because many short service employees have entitlements that are entirely disproportionate to their length of service. This was a perfect example. And the second is be aware of non-compete clauses because, yes, they're usually not enforceable, but that doesn't mean they're not 
dangerous. Is that one of the uh, the clauses inside uh, termination or even employment agreement for that matter that that you can fight fairly regularly with success? Because that seems to be one that companies will kind of say, oh, okay, they'll relent. Once the company gets a lawyer, they typically will choose to waive that right. at some point. And, and sometimes they don't, but it's absolute silliness when they don't because, you know, I, I had a case where uh, I had a, an employee who was working for a year and a half and he ended up getting a nine-month severance package. Now, that almost never happens. Right. But the reason why it happened in that case was because he was subject to a crazy non-compete clause. And the courts look at these things. There's lots of case law that says if you're subject to a non-compete clause, you're going to get more severance. Mm-hmm. So the company's going to pay for that. There's no reason uh, that, especially if, if there's a non-solicitation clause that you can craft that can accomplish the same thing, right. you just don't need to do that. Uh, so... You, you you can't exactly fight a non-compete at the outset, but to the extent that it's there, it's going to hurt the company in one shape or form. So they really should have all the incentive to waive it. In fact, a lot of cases I have, the first thing that they do is they waive it. So right. there, there are ways to, to get rid of it, and, and typically that's exactly what happens. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell lines are open. You have questions about that or any other topic about your own job, your severance, you've just been laid off or you just wondered something. Uh, feel free to give us a call, one 225 talk That is toll free. What else you got going on? So the second situation involved a woman in her 30s who had been working for a medium-sized accounting firm since her graduation from university. And she'd been there about eight years And lately, the company was running into some financial trouble and sent a memo to all of its employees saying, hi, everyone. Uh, Basically, we won't be able to pay your salaries for the next little while, but don't worry. We just need to get back on our feet, and we hope at some point we will be able to keep paying you. So not being a huge company, and she was fairly comfortable with everyone there, she decided, well, you know what? I trust, I know these guys. I trust that eventually they're going to start paying my salary again. So the first month goes by with no pay. She dips into her savings a little bit, but no harm done uh, as long as she was paid that soon. Well, the second month goes by, and she sends an email to her manager. Hey there, assuming that payroll is going to be back this month, of course, right? And the message back was, well, uh, the thing is we're actually still dealing with financial problems, so we don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know when we're going to be able to start paying you again. So like anyone in this situation, she, of course, let them know, well, that's not acceptable. Uh, I'm not working as a volunteer. I think that's ex- right. the exact language she used. I'm not, a vol- <laughs> I'm not a volunteer here. Um, so this happened uh, yet again the third month, and that's when she came to me. So it was at that point I told her, well, of course, you don't need to put up with this. Failing to pay you your salary on regular payroll dates, if if you've been paid up until that point, is a breach of the terms of your employment. That's the deal. You work, they pay. And if you don't want to put up with this anymore, I told her, let's get you out of there, get you your unpaid wages, and get you your severance. And we're negotiating that right now. Unfortunately, the company has got their lawyer on board who is setting them straight. And I I think to me, this is an exceptionally straightforward matter to resolve. And in addition to unpaid wages, this is someone who is easily entitled to anywhere from six to eight months of her full pay, which was uh, upwards of $50,000 all told. So once again, there are two lessons here. So the first of all is if your employer is changing the terms of your employment, speak up, tell them you don't accept the changes, and don't let them make the argument that you acquiesced to those changes. And secondly, if a company is failing to pay your salary and it looks like they're heading for ruin, 
don't wait until it's too late. And the same thing goes if you're getting a, a poor severance package from a company that looks like it's really on the rocks. Remember that. Remember what happened to all those poor Sears employees, right? right? Once a company claims bankruptcy, you're trying to get blood from a stone, and that just doesn't really work. So yeah. call us early, call us soon, and let us help you get what you're owed before it's too late. The number, by the way, to get a hold of uh, John or Lior, for that matter, a member of the team, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. We'll slide over to a uh, to a call here. First one of the night. Uh, hey, Carol. Good evening. How are you? Hi there. I'm good. How are you? Good. What's going on with you? Excellent. Go ahead. Well, I'm a 30-year uh, employee of a firm, and uh, recently we've been taken over. Well, I say recently within the last seven years, but the changes are finally taking place. And I'm in a job very different to the one that I was hired to do, and I've, I'm stressed, and my reviews aren't going well, and I'm concerned that um, it's just, I think I know where it's going. I feel that I'm I'm being put in a position that I just can't do. Right. And I have a feeling at some point they're going to just say, thank you, but no, thank you. We, right. we don't need you anymore. And that's, that's, I don't know if there's anything right. I can do. Or... Well, so, 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 Carol, there's a few things to unpack here. So the first thing is, when were you put into this position, this new position? Uh, when? So that would have been around eight, April or May of this year. Okay. And what's the difference between this new position and your last position? How's it different? Before I was sort of in an inventory control position, and now I'm in more of a planning role for for um, our co-packer. Okay, and yeah, and compensation's the same. Yes. Okay, so. In in that in this sort of situation, I mean, have you been put on a performance improvement plan of some sort? No. Okay, but you but you are getting some performance management, and uh, doesn't seem like it's going well. I'm getting training, and I'm and I'm getting a lot of heat. I think more so um, constant um, uh, encouragement that I'm not doing it well enough. <laughs> right, right. You know. Well, the the first, I mean, the first red flag, just just so you can get an idea of what are, what my thoughts are here and thinking process. I mean, whenever someone is put into a new job that's different, uh, you know, the first thing we want to think about, well, is that a breach of the terms of their employment? But if that's happened several months ago, it's probably too late for you to act on that now. And you want to be very careful with that because if you're going to take the position that they've, you know, already terminated your employment by virtue of their actions, it has to be something really significant. So that's probably not the route that you'd want to go in your case. So... So you're you're in this role now, and and for for better or worse, you're you're going to be there for um, you know hopefully hopefully the long haul. You've already been there for such a long time, but um, if this is the kind of thing where you're getting negative performance reviews and you think that their criticisms are unfair, the best thing that you can do is speak up, right? So if you're asked, for example, to sign an evaluation, uh, you, you shouldn't just sign it, but also um, say why you disagree, you know, in a respectful, courteous way. Look, this is why I don't think that these uh, criticisms of me are unfair. Or put that into an email. Put it on the record because if they do decide to terminate your employment, they're going to try and rely on these things. But here's the other thing, Carol. I mean, if you've been there for 30 years, most employers are not going to be foolish enough to try and claim that they have just cause, particularly not for performance. I mean, that is going to be extraordinarily hard to do. So, there is nothing you can really do if they plan to terminate your employment. But if they do, 
wow, are your entitlement your entitlements going to be significant? I mean, I don't know what your salary is or or your age or your position, and all those things would would come into play in terms of getting what your uh, actual entitlements are. But just by virtue of the fact that you've been there for thirty years, it's yeah. it's pretty rare for someone in those circumstances to be entitled to less than twenty to twenty four months of their pay. Right. And what if uh, the job is causing such stress that it becomes a problem for myself? Because that could also be a possibility. Because I am feeling a lot of stress. Well, if that's the, well, if that's the case, then uh, it's not me you should be speaking to. It's your doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So, if if you're feeling so much stress that you can't actually function in the work environment, what you should do is go to your doctor. Tell your doctor what you're, you're going through, and if the doctor feels it's appropriate for you to be put on an, an anxiety or stress leave, get that note from your doctor and send it to the company, and they'll have to, they'll have to hold your job as long as your doctor is saying that you are trying to recover and can return once you get better. Okay. Okay. All right, All so I hope that answers Carol. your questions. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Carol. I'm going to give you a number as you uh, as you leave. That's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's to get a hold of John or Lior, the rest of the team at the firm, and of course, help at employmenthour dot com is the email. We'll take a short break. Phone lines are wide open. We got topics, but I would much rather talk to you tonight. So feel free to call us and ask your questions. Get some answered. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell and one triple eight. 225 talk that is toll free it's the employment hour right here global news radio plenty of time for you to call in till around 10 to 8 it is 416-870-6400 star 640 on cell 1 225 talk that number toll free it is help at employmenthour.com you'll want to send an email to uh, to john or leor after the show anytime for that matter you can do that uh severancepaycalculator.com give me some details pal this is a really great tool that i think we're really proud of uh, and it's one that has helped, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, a ton of people, hundreds of thousands. And what it really does is allow people a quick and easy way to find out what their severance entitlements are at law. You put in your age, you put in your position, you put in your length of service, and uh, it will pump out exactly what uh, the range of entitlements that you're likely to have in the circumstances, and it'll actually put a dollar figure to that. And the great thing is it's anonymous, it's free. And if it matches what your severance package is, great. And if it doesn't, then you can give us a call and we can talk about it in some more detail. So it really, really is a useful tool. And, and I hope that anyone who is looking at a separation package will uh, type that into their browser. Let's get to a, another call as we roll on here. Got to Gene on the line. Hey, Gene. Good evening. Yeah, I, I think we're losing sight of a simple premise that, if I recall, I studied in business law course 45 years ago. <laughs> and the difference is between cause and fault i mean they may have the store owner may have caused it in part by not being diligent but it's not his fault for perpetrating the crime the the fault goes with the perpetrator so they're two distinct things it can sort of go you know it it, it gets more technical uh thing of saying the same thing as one of your first callers said that well you know i left the car keys in my car so i guess i caused the mishap but it wasn't my fault that somebody else came along and stole it. So I think there's a different concept there. Right. Well, you, you know, here's the thing, Gene. I mean, the law actually does pay attention to the difference between something caused by an employee and something that was the fault of the employee. And in fact, the law goes even a step further. And the law says, even if it was your fault and even if you caused it, is it worthy 
of the highest punishment in employment law, what they call the capital punishment of employment law, which is just cause. And generally speaking, it takes something pretty extreme uh, to give an employer the right to do that, right? So if someone has deliberately stole from the register, for example, you've got, you've got uh, you know, it was caused by them, it was their fault, and they intentionally did it, right? So intention is actually a very important part of this. So I would say that you know, the difference between cause and, and, and fault is, is important, and in fact, uh, only part of the story. Um, so, look, employers, and, and I don't know what, what situation that you're speaking to, if you want to give me some more details about uh, what this relates to, I'm happy to yeah, chat that, about it. That, that's okay. I'm going to disconnect. Thank you. No problem. Bye. Appreciate that, uh, Gene. Uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell, one 225 talk That number is uh, toll-free. Jim, good evening. Hello, how are you? Good, Jim. What's going on, pal? Um, I just have a general question regarding, um, it's about my wife's employer. Now, she has been there for about two years. Uh, she's not going to, she doesn't seem to be letting go. In fact, she's doing a very fine job there. The problem that she's having, uh, there's two people in her department. There's her and then, then there's the boss's cousin. The boss's cousin has a major attitude with different people in the office, and my wife is one of them. There have been people that have come and gone with in that very small company over the past years, and they've all said, her, she's the problem. So my wife is sticking it out. My wife at one point actually accepted another job, and the boss came to her with a very good raise, sent her like three or four emails, and in those emails said, you have a job here for life. So we've kept those emails. Now, my wife, although going through stress, sometimes they blow up at each other, if there's ever a time where they say, you know what, it's just not working out, will those emails hold up in a lawsuit? You know, that's that's actually a very interesting question. Um, I can tell you that uh, there's there's no real history of, of a court's awarding um, uh, a pay for someone for life, right? That That's kind of outside the confines of, of what's uh, considered payable pursuant to... Uh, what we call pay in lieu of reasonable notice, or what's known as severance pay. Uh, okay. Pay for life is something more you'd expect from, for example, a, a long-term disability claim, right? You'd, you'd expect something sort of pay to retirement. Now, would those emails hold any weight? I think they would They would show something. It, it, I mean, clearly they have induced her to stay and to reject another opportunity. So uh, would it influence uh, a court or adjudicator who was ruling on her case? Yeah, I think so, and I think it would add some leverage to the negotiations, okay. um, but a, a lot of the, um, basically we're still going to be looking at the main factors, right? Her age, her position, her years of service, her rate of compensation, the kinds of things that will make it harder for her to replace that job. So I, I don't, I think it would be too much to say that a court is going to ever award someone pay for life, even in spite of that email. But is that email going to matter? I, I think so. I would hold on to it for sure. Oh, we will. So, can I just one more quick question? I'll let mm-hmm. you guys go. Um, the when there is blowups uh, in the office, this company that they have there's about thirty people. Well, sorry, maybe about twenty five people in the office. Now, in an office of twenty five people, over the past two years, they've seen about thirteen people leave. That's mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, there is no HR department in this place. What are the regulations for someone to say, "Look, we got a problem. There's no one to talk to." 
Well, there's there's no requirement that a company actually has an HR department, but effectively, if they don't have an HR department, then the person who is the manager, who is the owner, they now have to fulfill that role. And that includes taking complaints of harassment in the workplace. And if that manager or the owners, as the, as the case may be, fails to maintain a harassment-free work environment, fails to deal with a complaint, then there may be a basis for a constructive dismissal. Now, you want to be very careful about that before you may take any action. You want to make sure you speak to a lawyer because uh, a constructive dismissal in those circumstances has to be handled very, very carefully. Uh, but if there's no HR department, that doesn't mean you're out of luck. That doesn't mean you have no rights. It just means that you're now complaining to the manager or the owner instead. Okay. And th- and therein lies the problem. When, when my wife was given the the offer to stay, uh, she was told that this person that you work with and have an issue with, and he knows, my wife told him, this is the problem. She, he told my wife that you will no longer have to respond with her. You will not have to work with her anymore. Mm-hmm. One month later, guess what happens? Boom, she's back in supervisor position again. Well, I think she should speak up. I think that if a company puts on a Band-Aid solution, and doesn't really fix the problem, then their obligation to fix that problem arises again. So I I think that uh, if if she wants to fix a situation, she should speak up and she should speak up soon and do it in writing. Send an email. Uh, I I like emails because they're date and time stamped. She'll be able to show later that she complained, and if they fail to take action, she should send a follow-up email. Hey, guys, I bring this up again. You still haven't dealt with my complaint. And if by that point they still won't respond to her, she should give us a call. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. Here is that number. Uh, write it down. one 821 5900 Again, one 821 5900 Help at employmenthour.com. You still have time to call in, ask your questions as well. Would love to uh, talk to you. And I know John's... Willing to answer them as well. That's 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale, one 225 talk That is toll-free. Biggest mistakes employers make. This is uh, right at the top of the list, which is why I guess you put it there. And that is not understanding the difference between the common law and the ESA. This is, of course, yes, by far the biggest mistake no. that an employer employers make and employers will uh, continue to make. Um, it's not just that they provide an inadequate severance package, but they go a step further and they think, well, all I have to do is look up the Employment Standards Act minimums. Right. And it's funny because if you go on the Ministry of Labor's website, it actually will say, this is not necessarily the end of the matter. You should really look into this and speak to a lawyer. But unfortunately, some people miss the uh, the fine print, so to speak, although right. the ministry's gotten a little better at making that less fine uh, and more prominent. <laughs> but it still gets missed by people, and they still think that the employment standards uh, is just the minimum. So the reality is, is that uh, this, this is this is something that happens. And if you get the minimum amount, uh, if, if you get the minimum amount of... Uh, employment standards uh, termination pay, it's likely not because your employer is doing so maliciously, but just because they looked it up on Google, and Mr. Google is not uh, not a good lawyer. No, Google Med School is not, not another good place to go. We're exactly. talking the uh, biggest mistakes employers make. The old temporary layoff rears, rears its ugly head again, huh? Yeah, I mean, in the vast majority of cases, the reality is a temporary, a pe- temporary layoff is a termination. Yep. So, yes, the Employment Standards Act does allow temporary layoffs for employees, but 
those circumstances need to be present. And in most cases, they aren't. And in most cases, you should give us a call because you can usually treat that as a termination and get your severance. You really have to have signed on to a specific agreement saying, I agree that I will take layoffs in accordance with the Employment Standards Act. And if you haven't signed something explicit and haven't signed that before you started your employment, chances are they don't have a right to do that. And you can treat that as a termination and get your severance. 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell 1-888-225-TALK. That is toll-free and using that number. Dave, hey, Dave, how are you? Good evening. Uh, pretty good. How are you? Good, sir. What's uh, what's going on with you? Yeah, uh, the company that I work for, we have a, a division um, that works with uh, nuclear or radioactive uh, products. And um, my company wants me to move into that division, but I'm a little nervous regarding the, the nuclear aspect of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, would that be refusing work? Even though they're going to claim it's safe, uh, you're working right in, like you can't get any closer to this nuclear uh, um, product that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And would that be refusing work if you said you didn't feel safe around it? Well, as, as you probably know, there is a right under the Occupational Health and Safety Act that you can refuse any work that is unsafe. Uh, and I think that you would also be right to ask for training if you feel that you need it. I mean, what what role are you working in right now, for example? Uh, I'm in transportation right now, mm-hmm. and uh, what they want me to do is uh, work in the, the disposal of uh, nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're right in the right in the heart of the plant, and sure they train you in, in that, but I mean, it, it still makes me nervous being that close to all this radioactivity. Um, I'm just kind of wondering, I mean, do I have to, or would that be refusing work? Well, you do want to be careful here, because if you refuse to do it, the, the employer is likely going to take the position of just cause and claim that you are insubordinate. And if they are giving you proper training, and they're giving you the tools to do it safely, I don't think you'd have an argument that it's unsafe work. I mean, the, the bigger question here, I think, is whether the change in your position is permitted by your employment agreement, right? And that might be a verbal employment agreement, that might be a written employment agreement, that might be an implicit employment agreement. And that's the kind of thing that it really takes a longer sort of discussion to work through. But in terms of the the uh, the health and safety aspect of it, if they're giving you proper training and they're using safe tools to do it, I don't know if you'd be able to refuse it on that basis. I think you just have to make sure you get the proper training. And if you don't feel that you can do it safely, I think you need to say, look, I need more training on this. And if they refuse to do that, then there might be an issue there, and that might be an issue that you want to talk to us about. Yeah, no, they'll definitely train me. It's just that when I got hired on, I wasn't hired on to, to play around in a, in a nuclear power plant. Right, and, and that's the issue, and that's, that may be the thing that you want to talk to us about now, because if you're just being moved, and if, if this is something that's happened very recently, then your window of opportunity to act on, on this and express your disagreement and, and take a stand uh, is quite short. So I would recommend that you give us a call about this so we can look at that aspect. As I said, there may not be a safety angle here, but there may be another angle here where you don't need to accept this job as a result of the fact that it's just not your job. It's just not what you signed up for. So Mm -hmm. that may be the issue here. And if it's sufficiently different than what you signed up for, then you may be able to treat that as a termination. You just have to be very, very careful because if it's not a constructive dismissal and you leave, it's a resignation. So 
I, I would give us a call so we can we can work through that with you. Okay, Are they changing okay. anything else, Dave? Like move you from days to nights or anything like that, or or no? Well, the the other thing too, you're, I'm going from eight hours to thirteen hours a day. Well, uh, okay. Different. Well, that there's something right there, yeah. right? That's a problem. Right. So I, I, I think there there might be something here, Dave. So I would definitely give us a call because we've dealt with similar situations, uh, and often they do amount to a constructive dismissal. I, I think we'd still want to work through the details, but there's there's definitely some problems going on here. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate your call. It's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to get a hold of John Lior. Rest of the team, uh, do call, do pursue this, and uh, get all the uh, the details ironed out for sure. Uh, Jane, good evening. You're next up. How are you? Not bad. Yourself? Great. Go ahead. What's uh, what's your concern? Um, I'm a long term employee with a company. Actually, I'm a manager. Uh, I belong to a professional association, as do other members of my team. Um, the other members of my team are male. One is actually being put through the whole program on the company dime. The dues have been paid for for the other team members, the males. I'm a female, and they're refusing to pay for my, my uh, association dues. Okay. Does that sound right? <laughs> no, of course it doesn't. I mean, if the, the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario is set up to deal with systemic discrimination, so if there is evidence that they are treating you in a differential manner uh, because of your gender. Uh, that's prohibited. It's prohibited under okay. the Human Rights Code, and it uh, entitles you to damages. Uh, I've handled several uh, tribunal matters, uh, matters that are similar to this, and I can tell you that if there's something in writing uh, showing that um, you, you're not getting this and there's evidence that all the other men, uh, all the other people that got it uh, are men, um, the tribunal is not going to be very uh, enthused about that. And so I would raise this uh, with the company, say, you know, first of all, why are you not paying? Without even making an accusation, I would just say, you know, is there a reason why you're not paying my dues? And if that reason isn't convincing to you, I would give us a call because uh, we may want to talk to them about some human rights liability and get them to fix okay. that. Okay, no, that's cool, because I did raise it, and I was told that uh, I didn't follow the proper protocol. I talked to one of the other gentlemen, and he it was the same protocol he followed. Right. So that that's a problem. I would give us a call about that because that does sound like there's some human rights uh, human rights liability there for them, and uh, I think that we should be able to to get them uh, set them straight on this issue before it gets uh, any further. Jane, are the guys unionized? You said dues, like union dues? It's, it's, no, it's their their association dues. Oh, okay. So it doesn't yeah. matter. If she's a manager, John. It's a it's it's a outside a com- outside association that we belong right. to accreditation, mm. and right. we have to yeah we maintain it every year and I've been paying for it year over year, not knowing that other people are getting reimbursed. Yeah, and what strikes me about the situation you've described is that there's there's a benefit being provided to the other employees, and you're not receiving that same benefit. It's for a reason that uh, apparently doesn't hold up, uh, and that's mm. that's potentially problematic. Okay. Okay, very good. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Jane. Jane. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling that number again, one 821 5900 to get a hold of John. Email as well is help at employmenthour.com. In the meantime, we're talking about uh, biggest mistakes employers make, not providing notice in writing. And we'll flip this one back to employees. Everything you do have a written record, right? That's right, because if you no. don't if you don't provide notice in writing, it's going to be as an employer, it's going to be almost impossible 
to show that you gave them notice at all. And the other thing about putting notice in writing is that you give them a date. You give them some certainty. This is when your employment is ending. So this mm-hmm. is really important when you're, whenever you're providing working notice because the whole point is to allow people to plan, to allow your employees to plan. So if you're running a business and you say, hey, guys, we might need to do some, some layoffs, guess what that counts for? Nothing. Right? So, right. so you have to make sure that you're giving them a date and you're saying, this is when it's going to end. You don't even need to tell them why it's going to end. If you're saying, look, we're ending your employment on a without cause basis, it will terminate effective this date. The point of that notice is to give them an opportunity to find a job. The golden rule is if, it's not, if it wasn't written down, it didn't happen, right? Yeah, basically, because yeah. how on earth are you going to prove it? Right. right? Yeah. Another one, biggest mistakes uh, employers make entering into unenforceable, we're talking unenforceable employment contracts. Like what? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a kind of uh, common problem that even, even the courts have difficulty figuring out because the, the law is always changing on this issue. Uh, okay. There's issues of entire employment agreements being unenforceable. There's issue of, uh, issues of termination clauses being unenforceable. Uh, in the past year alone, we've seen a number of decisions from uh, both levels of uh, court that have added a little bit of confusion in, in the legal community as to what constitutes an enforceable versus an unenforceable right. termination clause. So this is a really delicate exercise. And uh, if you're an employer, don't rely on a template that you found online. It's just not going to do you any favors. Uh, you really should speak to a lawyer who can help you get it right. Uh, and for anyone who's an employee... Uh, who's faced with this, you should know that if you have an employment agreement with a termination clause, that's not the end of the story. It has to be a legal termination clause. And in fact, there's a lot of termination clauses out there that are unenforceable. Now, ideally, you won't have agreed to that termination clause in the first place. Uh, and that's really what what the, the best thing that you can do as an employee when you're starting a new job. Uh, but if you have already agreed to it and you're being let go, you should know that there are a lot of um, there's a lot of potential problems that that termination clause can have, and that can change your entitlements in a very significant way. Help at employmenthour.com is always the email address you want to use when you write to John or Leo, or a member of the team. Blaine writes in, uh, said this one, says, "I've been working for a construction company as a manager for ten years, and they recently said they don't have uh, any more work for me. They said they don't owe me severance because I am a construction worker. Is that true?" So this is a misconception that is very linked to one of the things, John, that we talked about earlier, which is the difference between minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act and full entitlements to to common law notice. Now, there is a provision um, in the regulations to the Employment Standards Act that says certain people in the construction industry, and there's very stringent criteria that needs to be reached. It needs to be someone who's working sort of on site. It will depend on the circumstances, depend on the nature of the business itself, that in some circumstances, you do not need to pay a construction worker their minimum entitlements, but they still may be owed their full entitlements. So yeah. it could be a completely moot point. So no, that is not necessarily true. And so Blaine, I would I would definitely have uh, I would definitely give us a call so we can talk about your situation in more detail. And if you're a manager, especially if you're working off site, chances are you're owed both minimum and your full entitlements. So we should talk. That's such a big one. We get that all the time with with construction workers. Oh, I, I I lost my job three months ago, and I you know because I'm in construction, I don't get severance. Huge misconception. Huge, huge. Uh, yeah, and it happens all the time. 
Jill says, uh, asking a question for my father. His doctor recently gave him, uh, gave his employer a note saying that he cannot return back to work ever again because of a back injury. Do they owe him severance? So, Jill, I've, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Uh-huh, right. uh, so the good news is that, yes, uh, your father is going to be owed uh, severance. The bad news is it's not going to be his full severance. It's going to be his minimum entitlement to severance. Okay. So, for example, if he's been there for 10 years and it's a very large company, he could be looking at around four and a half months of his pay. Now, that's not going to be his full entitlements. That could potentially be you know, up to a year of his pay in some circumstances, but he does get something. So uh, I would reach out to the company and say, uh, look, as a result of that, his employment's being terminated. What's his severance going to be? And see what they say. If the answer is they'll pay his min- that they're going to pay his minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, then that really is the end of it. Uh, if they won't pay him anything, then I would give us a call. And Amazingly, that that does seem to be happening uh, more and more these days where employers don't realize that if an employee can't work anymore because of an illness or an injury, you actually do have to pay them something. It's just less. but uh, that is that is the rule. It's a very straightforward rule. So I would uh, give give us a call if that's the that's the problem there. As far as the uh, the full entitlements are are concerned, with that they don't get it because they're not returning to the work. Is that is it something to do with a frustration of contract, or why aren't, why don't get the, they uh, get their full entitlements? Well, that's that's exactly it. That's that's the term yeah. of art, John. Frustration yeah. of contract, as as you know. So, and basically, uh, frustration of contract means that because of no fault of your own, it's not you, the employee's fault, it's not the employ uh, the employer's fault or the employee's fault. Uh, the contract just can't be performed anymore. It's like right. if if someone's working on a house and the house gets struck by lightning and you can't work on that site anymore for some reason, well, the contract's just done. It's it's not that anyone did anything wrong. You just can't do anything. And what the Employment Standards Act says is, well, okay, but hang on. If it's done because the employee is sick or injured and that's why they can't work, you still have to pay them termination pay because that's just not fair to the employee. Got about a minute, so we'll squeeze in one more email. Steve, you're up. Says, uh, I run a car dealership, and I have a problem with a salesperson who won't listen to anything I say. He's a little older than me, so he thinks he knows better and treats me with disdain. What can I do about him? That's a good question, and it's a very uncomfortable situation, especially when you're dealing with someone who is – Maybe a little obstreperous, and and uh, in some Good cases, word. yeah, in some cases wow. can be intimidating, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, we've I've I've had many clients deal with these these kinds of people, and the first thing that you generally want to do is issue a formal warning. If you okay. just go and terminate them right off right off the bat for insubordination, which I mean you can choose to do, but that's a that's a little bit of a minefield. You don't really want to do that. Uh, what you want to do ideally is bring this to their attention, issue them a warning, maybe multiple warnings, and you want to progress their discipline up to a point of uh, perhaps a suspension. And then after that point, if they're still being insubordinate, you can terminate them for cause. Now, the other thing you can do, of course, is you can terminate this person without cause. There's no a reason why you can't get rid of this person. You just have to pay them their proper severance. Right. So to talk about those options, I would give us a call and we can talk about the costs and benefits of each route. Good for another week, uh, my brother. Here's the number to get a hold, John. Now that we're done for this particular broadcast evening, it's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmenthour.com is email, and always, always, always check the severance pay calculator first before you sign or go anywhere else, even before the phone call if you'd like to the firm. And that is severancepaycalculator.com. We'll be back here on the weekend shows, and of course, Employment Hour and Thirty happens on Global TV and uh, CTV on weekends as well. Till next time, the Employment Hour right here 
Global News Radio.